Our listeners have some questions for us this week. They've posted on Dungeon Masters Dojo Facebook page and even sent us emails over the Dungeon Masters Dojo at gmail.com. So let's step into the dojo then and see if we can provide some answers. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Dungeon Masters Dojo Podcast. This is a show for game masters, as well as experienced and new players alike. We hope to bring you the tools needed to not only be a great GM, but to help you develop as a player. I'm your host, Louis Aponte. Our stars of the show are Scott Labby and Bill Robotile. Let's enter the dojo and see what both Bill and Scott have in store for us today. Bill, Scott, what do you have in store for us today? We're answering questions, right? Answering questions. Good thing we need those questions answered. We sure do. People have asked, you must deliver. Yeah. So let's let's get right into it. Let's go to it. So Thomas Regan has a question for us. He says he thinks an episode about giving out experience or other types of leveling and advancement would be good. Should it be fast or slow? How do you gauge progression? How do you deal with the difficulties in giving more or less to certain players? Or should you give out an equal amount? Any thoughts on these or other concerns around this topic would be very helpful. I've always gone with a formula. Um, I've been using this forever, 40-plus years. Uh, you start with your base, um, usually about 75% of what you're going to give out. Everyone gets that. Uh, so everyone gets a, the majority. Then I look at role-playing. How well have you maintained your character, and is it consistent? Then the effectiveness of your character. And this is kind of like where the wow moments come in, you know, where Things have done, helped, and or forwarded the, the story. And then continuity. Um, how well do you play it from week to week to week? And each one of these gets a certain percentage. And that's how I've done it. And I've done this formula for forever. And this is the formula that we set the base for what we do for our week long as well. Yeah, I've, I've used a similar formula. I always go with the milestones. If you achieve a milestone, everybody gets X number of experience points right off the bat. Those big, uh, those big moments, you know, where someone really shines. And I like to make sure that I provide everybody with an opportunity to do that. Maybe not at the same game session, but throughout the entirety of the, um, the adventure. So I'll do the milestone experience points. I'll go, okay, this is how much you're going to get for achieving each milestone. Um, when you shine, when that moment is presented, then uh, I'll throw a little extra your way. And, um, yeah, continuity and consistency is really good, and that should be rewarded as well. I, I agree mm -hmm. because otherwise I find that sometimes you'll get a, uh, you get a player that's uh, lawful good um, one week, and then the next week he's, like, chaotic good. You know, he goes from, like, Captain America to Clint Eastwood Spaghetti Western, you know, in seven <laughs> days. And you're really, not, you're really not too sure where he's at. Um, so that consistency and the continuity with the character, I think, really, really should be rewarded Continu as well. Continuity for me has always been big. Um, one of the reasons I'm referred to as the continuity master. Um, if, you, if you're straying off the path of what you've consistently done, uh, you will be called out on it by me. Some people are not are not going to be happy with getting a different number than somebody else. Right. It's, it's going to happen. 
But that's when you pull them aside and say, this is how it's structured. Now, this should be done and announced at the start of the scenario, like at, at, at the very beginning. And you need to ask your players, right, how fast do you want to move? Now, our group has been always attracted to the mortality of low level. So we start off with, and we don't give yeah. a whole lot of experience points in the beginning. Because you don't want to be first level for one session and the next session you're third and the next session you're fifth. It kind of takes a lot of gameplay and opportunities to develop your character out of out of it. And that's how we've played it. But, I mean, you might want to do it different. You might want a high-level you know, campaign. You started low and you move through, you progress quickly. But we don't do that. Your players first, how fast do you want to move, and then stick to it. Yeah, and on the topic of, you know, the difficulty of different XP awards, yeah, you're right. Do that. Right at the beginning, session zero is a good opportunity to put all of that stuff out on the table and say, this is how I award experience points. You know, some game sessions, some people may get some bonus experience points that, that others others won't. But it's important for you as the, the GM to, to provide those opportunities for characters to shine. You don't expect the bard necessarily to shine in combat when right. it's a heavy kind of combat day, but they could be providing all of that backup that is necessary. You know, the bardic inspiration that allows the the fighters to shine or healing the word. You know, yeah. yeah there's a and, lot of stuff in the background that they're doing to support everyone else, and a support character is going to be just as important as your. That's tank. right, and recognize you, that absolutely. If your tank goes down, then uh, everyone else is probably going to go down right after it. So yep. if you your support characters are keeping that tank up there, then they deserve just as much experience points for taking that monster down as the guy who's actually swinging the sword. Yeah, and if you're doing your job as a GM, people will people will get their moments. Oh, yeah. And they'll start leveling pretty much the same. Well, to that point, too, you're going to have some experienced players, and you're going to have some people that are not as experienced. You may need to provide those opportunities to your least experienced players a little more often. Yeah, you don't want to discourage them. No. You don't have to tee it up for them a couple of times, where your experienced players are just going to take it and roll with it. They're going to know when their moment's there. Uh, your inexperienced players may not know that. And if you have a whole table full of experience, well, that kind of levels the playing field. But if you do have a mix, you're going to want to throw an opportunity out there for your your new players, your inexperienced players, a little more often than your your veteran players. And that was something that was done very artfully. Remember when we were playing the hybrid role playing game in Gen Con? We always come yes. back to this because it was a really really good time. But love uh, that game system. Matt Matt Borgeson was our GM, and he's he's like he's the wizard behind the curtain for that for that game. But there was a young man who was probably like thirteen or fourteen, maybe a little bit older. Yeah. Who was, who was at the table, clearly an inexperienced player, and Matt was really good about, you know, this is your moment. Yes, he you come know? right out and said, yeah. uh, this is right up your alley. Do your thing. Yeah, yeah, what do you have? And the kid did very well. The system allowed other players to amplify the effects of your actions, yep. and we all glommed onto it and made his moment, you know, we, we, it's like, okay, this is your moment, but why don't you like make it just a little better, a little better, a little better, but it's still his moment. We just kind of urged him along a yep. little bit and, and he jumped in too at towards the end. He's like, Oh no, no I, and, and I'm going to throw one in to do this. And he kind of got it pretty quick. The game master did a very, very good job 
of nurturing them along saying, you know, hey, you could always do, and uh, this is your moment. What are you going to do? Yeah, I'll, give it, you mo- I'll give you a moment to think about it, but this is it. This is, this is where your time is shine is. And experienced players, you know, be, be helpful yeah. with, with those moments because it's just a decent thing to do, but it's, it's developing new players. And, you know, when you have experience points kind of on the line, you know, that's, that's an important thing to do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Let's move on to the next point. Frank Wyden reached out to us and wants to know, come up with variant races. What were your inspirations for the races of Hymerian, which is our world that we built? I think this is more you than it is me. Yeah, I, I do a lot of thinking in the shower, which uh, may be off-putting. <laughs> <laughs> Only to but, those that get to look at you while you say that. <laughs> but... uh you know, spending a lot of time there. Well, it's relatively free of interruptions, you know. Usually. Yeah. But my wife does no boundaries. I would, uh, I don't have that problem. <laughs> <laughs> I I gave a lot of thought to what would happen if I took, you know, some of these conventional D&D races and, and provided them with, with some circumstances that were different from a lot of what is going on in, in D&D lore or what had gone on with D&D lore. I always thought a a race of, of militant elves would be really cool, but not militant like the drow. You know, so they're not inherently evil. They're they're just militant. They're militant, yeah. You know, they like... I was going to say, I thought you were a mad scientist and did a lot of gene splicing, because that's what it seemed like to me. <laughs> We uh, did. We did a lot of different different stuff with with coming up with the races that populated our we, world. We had a lot of evenings of just you on the couch and me sitting on a recliner and just bouncing stuff back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And then we came up with, I'll give you the credit. It's like, okay, what if we took this and this and this? What would happen? And I'm like, all right. So I'd throw my little salt and pepper on your your entree, and we this is what we came up with. And I'm very, very happy with the, the races that we built for our world. Yeah, and I, I see them um, as, and I know the, the races thing is, is, is a bit of a controversy for D&D now, but I, I always saw them as, you know, the elves are a species unto themselves, the dwarves are a species, and if you have different, like, groups of elves, that may qualify as a race. But I always took, like, I'm a big Star Trek fan, so I tried to look at them. You are? I I know. Shocker! I, this, uh, this is news to me. Yeah, way better than the Star Wars. Um, but I, I try to, I try to look at them like almost an alien species. Like, how would they be? How would they be different? So they're not just your elves aren't just humans with pointy, pointy ears, ears, and your dwarves aren't just like short bikers. That sort of thing. You know, they're 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 different. Their thoughts are different. And how would they? How would they be different? No. You know, how would a long lived race think that is different than someone like? a human that's only maybe on the planet for 80 years. You know, how would someone If you're who, lucky? Yeah, how would someone who's who lives for 700 years think would they might always be late. I don't have to hurry anything. I'll get there eventually. I'm I have a lifespan of about 800 what years. Do I'm I 47. Have, yeah, what do I what do I have to hurry for? Yeah, or I'm going to go meet my human friend. I better hurry up and get there cuz they die all of a sudden. <laughs> You know, just these these thoughts. That right, right. How would they how would they approach these topics? Yeah. So variant races. We went through a, a massive process to come up with ours. Sometimes it's just a matter of just changing a few stats out. It could be just a couple of abilities. It depends on what works for your world. We built ours from scratch. 
and got very, very, very involved in it. So it, it just depends on how much you really want to put in it. But the inspiration for ours was on real world cultures that we yeah. blended together and said, well, if we took this culture that displaced it from this environment and put it in another environment, but added this twist to the indigenous environment that's already, the, you know, people that are already there, what would we end up with? And that's how we got a lot of our races. Yeah. And we, I think we're, we wanted to take a lot of like, real world examples, mm-hmm. um, mostly historical examples and behavioral related. Very much, very much. Um, and use those without trying to necessarily mimic a particular group of, of people. You know, I, I think behavior is universal. Yes. So our population of the world isn't necessarily supposed to be a reflection of a certain group of people, but the behaviors of, of people in general. And I think that helped us well, a lot. So it wasn't like a parody, I guess, of, of a certain well, group of people. Yeah, I don't think we parody. Well, let's say we we took two and sometimes three different cultures and blended them together to make the races that we did for our world. Yeah. All right, so move on to the next one. All right. Robert Keeler writes, I have a suggestion. As a DM, what do you do if a player scores a crit with, say, a Vorpal Sword on your main baddie? How do you recover the encounter and not have it get derailed by a player's good luck? Asking for a friend. <laughs> yeah. First off, don't give out Vorpal Swords. Yeah, that's probably the best. Yeah, it's like giving a toddler a handgun. Yeah. You know, you don't want to do that. You know what? If you happen to lop the baddie's head off with your Vorpal Sword, good for you. Uh, but make sure at the end you say there could be only one. Because, you know what? If you're going to cut someone's head clean off their shoulders, <laughs> then that's what you have to do. Yes, there could be only to. one. Yeah. Raise that sword in the air and wait for a lightning strike. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, my my out for this that I've actually used a couple times, not that there's been vorpal weapons, but when the party actually works together and takes down your big batting like one round before you even have a chance to do an action, pull the doppelganger. Uh, the the big batty that you just dropped uh, falls to the ground, uh, fades to its original form, and the actual big bad steps out from behind a shadow or a corner or a doorway, uh, laughs and says, well, I see you've taken care of my, 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 my underling. Let's see how you can do with me. And then everything proceeds because it's an evil dude. He's going to throw out, you know, a, a body double. It shouldn't be all that difficult to figure out. And it sa- helps save things. And like I said, in the first place, my, my table wouldn't have a vorpal sword. But because <laughs> I'm a stingy old bastard. <laughs> I think with uh, something like that, I would, um, I would let it play out, let the guy lose his head. And then, you know, they grab his body and everybody leaves. And then keeping in the Highlander vein, <laughs> one of my favorite villains of all time is the Kurgan. I would just have, have the bad guy show up again with, I don't know, maybe some, a, a very bad stitch job holding his, <laughs> holding his head to his neck and um, maybe a little bit more powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Th- there's that. So um, before we go on to the next one, um, I think it's time for a break. Uh, I have a cramp in my right leg and I need to walk it off. I got to go sharpen my Vorpal sword. <laughs> Someone's losing their head. Hopefully I won't roll a one, though. (laughs) All right, we'll be right back. And we're back. Yeah, you can shave with this Vorpal sword now, though I want to get it too close to your neck. (laughs) Yeah, try your legs. (laughs) (laughs) That's quite a sight. You have no idea. Let's, uh, Let's go on to the next one. All right, Robert Miller writes, For complete noobs... 
never played. I own a starter kit and will try and be DM for some friends who have decided to give this a try. We've given the game, well, given the game is so open-ended in structure, how do you know when to have people, let's say, move forward in a trail, take a door? Um, I read the DM starter kit for the scenario and it seems to be very open to interpretation. This, I mean, we've mentioned this in some former um, episodes, how some of the pre-written material sometimes... Other is very, very restrictive or way too open. Yeah, and and that's that's the nature of the game. Part of you know, part of learning how to be a DM is just jumping in and doing it. You know, so um, a a lot of a lot of the time, I will have with me a random encounter chart. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of a lot of inexperienced players will kind of take an approach like it's a video game. We didn't have that back in the day because well, we didn't have, with the exception of Pong. We didn't have. I was about to say my video game was Pong. Yeah, we, <laughs> and and that was not influencing at all on your D and D play. But no, but now not. with these 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 games they have now, uh, that's that's the base knowledge that people have to go on when playing D and D. Just because they probably never experienced something like this, um, I would I would suggest um, going back to that point in time in your life when you were you were a child and. You know, playing make believe with your friends because really that's what D and D is 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 is, is oh, playing make believe yeah, with your a, friends. It's a glorified version of it. Yeah, yeah. You just have a framework to it, but you know, when you guys decided to move along and you're you know playing make believe, you know, someone always was like, and then this happens, or and then that happens. Well, you as the GM, you it, it's your it's kind of your responsibility to move them along. So if they're at, at a um, crossroads. Maybe a, during a dr- dungeon crawl, they could take the corridor ahead of them, or they could take the corridor to the right, or they could take the corridor to the left. What do you guys decide to do? Well, we're not too sure. It's like, do we hear anything? Well, you know, maybe you'll hear some shuffling sounds from the corridor straight ahead. But provide them with those things. You know, you hear water trickling. Knowing the map that you're playing is really important to move people along, and having that random encounter chart is a big deal too. Oh, but- yeah. I mean, uh, let's say you hear, you smell, you see. Uh, little hints like that could give them a little direction, other toward or away from something. You smell something that smells like rotting flesh. Yeah, build that curiosity in yeah. them. Yeah. Do you want to check it out or do you want to stay away from it? So down this corridor, you think you hear running water. Um, and the breeze seems to be glowing, going that, coming from the rotted flesh, going toward the running water. direction I go. Uh, or if it... Let's see. Sometimes boredom will keep them moving as well. There's nothing to see here. What? There's nothing. Well, I'm gonna check. There's nothing here. Oh, um, they're not gonna stay in a spot. If you need to, if there's only one door in the room, they only have one way to go. The one they came in or the other door. Okay, I'm I'm gonna check the room. There's there's nothing here. You check the entire room. There is nothing here. Well, I'm gonna check the floor. You found nothing. I'm gonna look for secret doors. You found nothing. Pretty obvious. It's time to move along. Yeah, and and Robert, I would suggest too. Um, you know, if you've ever started a job, uh, one of the first things they do is they give you to someone that knows the job really well, or at least I hope they would (laughs) to teach you the job. Right. So you walk around with the person, you watch them, you hear the stuff they have to say. So it's kind of like you get that OJT. So how do you do that with Dungeons and Dragons? If, if you happen to have, I mean, now it's a little harder than it was in the past because of the pandemic, but sit in on a table, just go, Hey, can I, can I just sit and watch your table? I'm thinking of running a game. I've never done it before, and you're an experienced DM. Can I check you out? And check out a bunch of them. Don't just check out one guy. Check out a few of them. And Roll20 is a good opportunity as well. Maybe you can send someone a, a text or an email message 
Right. Go, hey, do you mind if I just kind of hang in the background and and watch the gameplay because I'm thinking of running a game? And then maybe after the game, just ask the, the, the DM a few questions, you know, mm-hmm. if you have any. I, I think seeing someone do it is really important for a new DM. It would have saved me a lot of trial and error if I if I got <laughs> to see someone, you know, who who'd been doing it for a while. But stay away from stay away from YouTube and Matt Mercer. And that's not to say Matt Mercer's not an outstanding DM because he he is. He's he's good at it, but he's a professional voice actor. And that's something that could be really off putting to someone who's brand new. It's like, well I'm never gonna be like Matt Mercer. Well, no, none of us probably are going to be like Matt Mercer, but we'll run our games like we do. And right. we'll do a really good job at them too if we put the forth the effort and and take the time to really really learn the craft. Okay, Robert also asks: uh, When getting fresh players who have never played, you need some type of explanation to what their actions entail and why they should choose to make them. Where do you start and how how do you do these? First, coach them. Um, you you have new players; they may not know what. To do. Yeah, they probably don't. Right. So if if all right, if you want to get into the locked room, you'll need to pick the lock. Roll stealth. Don't try to make them figure it out. Coach them a little bit, and they will get it. So next couple times, like, oh, I need to, I need to use stealth. I need to make my athletics roll. I need my um, nature roll, survival roll. As you give them circumstances, point out to what they need, and they will quickly learn. That's what I need. So coach them, coach them. You know, they're, they're fresh and they're new. They don't know. You as the game master probably, hopefully, supposedly know a little bit more than they do. So go with it and coach them. Coach them on the point. Show them a good time too. Yeah, uh, yeah. If, if you show someone a good time, they're going to want to come back. So if you're a new a new player, Robin, and you, you have kind of been the guy who has been volunteered to be the DM, and that's, that's a situation I'm very much so aware of because <laughs> I just wanted to play D and D and now I've, I've run D and D more than I've played it. Um, so well, I, I welcome get to it. my world. Yeah. <laughs> it's a situation where we're, we're both in and, um, that's, uh, that's flattering. So take that flattery because it's all about having fun and they think that you are capable of delivering that. So have a good time with them, run a combat encounter or two just for the heck of it. Yeah. Throw a bar fight at them. Um, street brawl. Yeah, street brawl, something, so they have a good time. They get used to rolling the dice and understand that if if you're you're new to running the game, they're they're going to be aware of that. Tell them, you know, it's, I'm I'm just as new as you are, and now I'm running the game. So um, bear with me and learn the game together. And you know, you guys will kind of kind of grow as a group. Everybody started there forty years ago when I started playing, and like a hundred years ago when Bill started playing, we we're brand <laughs> new to it. You know, yes. we didn't. We've never played a game like that really and, before. And, and when I started, there was very few people that were playing, let alone game mastering. Yeah, it was a very small the kind people, of community. The people who were game mastering uh, came over from other game systems. Yeah, it was a brand new hobby. It, yeah, it was a brand new hobby. And there wasn't a whole lot of people doing it. So now, fortunately, there are resources out there. Um, hopefully, us being one of them. Uh, hopefully. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, use those resources. But again, you know, like I said, let your players know. Um, hey, I'm new too, so let's not let's not go like all crazy and stuff. You know, give me a chance to look it up in the book, or let's everyone look it up in the book. Yeah, and that'll go a long way to yes. your credibility as a DM because there's there's nothing worse than a DM that says, "Man, I'm the guy for you. I'll I'll give you one hell of an adventure." And you know, you're expecting steak and a baked potato, and you get a cheese sandwich. It's not even grilled. <laughs> you know, 
on the leftover bread that no one else wanted. Okay, yeah, the, he, the he, heels. He, the heels. He also asked, uh, I've played tons of different RPGs from video games and card games, but this is so open-ended, it's very difficult to figure out exactly what and how you should go about doing things. So That's the uh, beauty of it, Bill, isn't it? How should know, you go about doing it? Whichever you, way your brain thinks. You, and for some of us, that's dangerous. Um, if you haven't already, uh, listen to our episode, Your Role as a Game Master. It might help a little bit, but figure out what you want to do, where you want to go, set your goals, set some some obstacles in between, you know, as you go. You don't have to get over detailed on a lot of things because when you do, you get you paint yourself into a corner. Your party's going to take you off track really easy. It's not like a video game. It's not as it, video games are relatively static. No matter how much you think you have free will, you don't. You don't. They're very static. They're, they're very linear. they're linear. Um, so this game is not they will take you down a rabbit hole in a heartbeat. Just be ready for it as best you can. And determine if what they're doing works or not. You know, it's like let them have their plan and and see if it'll work. You know, put the dice in their hand and, and go, let's let's give it a try. Yeah, so what you've envisioned of being the answer may not necessarily be the only or the best. Your, uh, yeah. your, your group's going to come up with something going, wow, I wish I thought of that. Yeah, way cooler than what you've done. Yes. That's... Always the case. I will come up with something that I think is like the coolest, and then someone at my table will <laughs> outcool it by like oh, a tenfold, mile. tenfold, yeah. yeah. All right, and his last uh, question: uh, What do you use for map making or printing maps? Uh, there are resources for this. Are there resources for this? It would be far easier if people had characters to move around a board of some type. It would. I I recommend getting yourself a bill. That's what I use. <laughs> It is a, it's free. It's easy to use. <laughs> easy to use. Yeah. It's user-friendly. I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> that might be from my perspective. Um, yeah. What do you What do you use? You use some um, uh, pretty cool software. All right. So for my broad strokes, for when I'm building um, continents, large, you know, large pieces of terrain, I use WonderDraft. I love this program. It works really, really well. Um, and if you're going to do interior stuff, uh, Dungeon Fog is really, Fog really is good really cool. for interior, small building, or even big buildings, but just buildings, interiors, the, the immediate grounds. Uh, I'm in the middle of building a labyrinth, um, a, a like a, a hedge maze for something that we're building. So, uh, yeah, these two programs have been really, really kind to me. And they're, they're professional-looking maps, and the programs are free. Yes. And they're... Web-based? Web-based. Dungeon Fog is web-based. Is Wonderdraft? No, you have to download the, like, the to... Mega Sploot or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, uh, Mega Sploot, yeah. Uh, there's a few updates to go along with it almost off the bat, but they're relatively easy to get into and take care of. But yeah, Wonderdraft for your broad strokes when you're doing continents, cities, towns, stuff like that, it works very, very well. And Dungeon Fog for your interiors, your buildings, your you know your smaller scale stuff. That's what I use. Um, I you know at some of our previous episodes, you found out that I am the map maker, and I love doing this stuff. That's what I use. Um, and one of the other things for like moving characters around on a board of some type, uh, a chess X mat is yeah. what we. Chess X, yeah, the Mega Mat, even if you just get a, a, a Mega Mat, a Mondo Mat, you know, they, they have a variety of sizes ranging from about 18 inches to 2 feet all the way up to 4 feet by 8. Yeah, and and while when you look at them, they might seem a little expensive, but, but these things last forever, so you make an investment once. I, I have a mat that I bought in the 80s. St- yeah, it's, it's older than a lot of people I know. 
<laughs> uh, but it's but it's held up well. I mean, they don't they don't get ratty. No, they don't. You, I mean, keep be careful of the edges. Don't let people pick at them. Um, stay away from the permanent markers. Obviously, uh, Visaviz makes overhead projector markers in a variety of colors that work amazingly well as wet erase markers. You get them at Staples. You get them. At, yeah, you, any of your office supply places will have them. If on per chance someone pulls out the wrong marker, dry erase or a permanent marker on your mat. Um, the magic eraser will take off permanent marker and not take off the paint that's on the mat itself. Oh, that's good to know. Um, little trick that I've stumbled onto. Um, I had a mat that someone uh, <laughs> recently mat, uh, used uh, accidentally used a permanent marker on because my wife decided to store it in the wrong container along with my vis-a-vis. I- yeah, I um I remember that it it was like taking Dad's Corvette out and then putting a dent in it. He he was drawn, and I looked at I looked at the end of the marker, going, Matt, is that a visaviz? And he picked it up. He looked at it and went, and he turned white. Yes, but it spelt Sharpie. It spelt Sharpie. <laughs> he the poor boy looked like he wanted to run away. He just set the marker down and looked at me like, please don't hit me. Um, it's like no problem. I'll take care of it. A week later, he comes back. He thought I bought a brand new mat. He did not believe that I was able to get the permanent marker off. So the magic eraser does a phenomenal job of taking care of those oops. Just so you know. And there's uh, there's hexes on one side for outdoor stuff, and there's squares on the other side for indoor stuff. And those markers, you can draw out, like, walls and stuff like that, and barrels if you don't use terrain. Yep. Uh, I will caution you on using terrain once you go down that rabbit hole. It's uh, it's dangerous. Yeah, it's it's hard to come out. You probably won't. <laughs> but it's But it's cool. Uh, All right, so let, do it. Let's move on to our next question. Yeah, this is a big one. Um, yeah, it is. This writer wishes to remain anonymous, so he says he has a quick question. <laughs> it's it's not, it's but not. we're gonna try to we're gonna try to answer this the best we can. Um, he joined uh, a group online mid COVID, so there's uh, three newbies to to the group and and two who've played in the campaign with the DM. Uh, before these these guys joined. So the last few sessions, he's begun to notice uh, some favoritism towards the other players, the the other players being those two that were with the DM prior. Um, so, for example, uh, one of the new players died, and he was, uh, he was told he could not bring him back if we took him to a temple. So... Um, that was uh that that was it. He he was revived eventually and given a, a penalty to two of his stats of minus one as a punishment because he's evil. Yeah, he was brought to a temple yeah. for for uh good and he, he was an evil character, so he took a, a whole bunch of, of stat slaps. Um and uh one of the originals died, one of those two players in a game, his character anyway, and he was brought back uh by an evil deity. With no punishment and no reasoning, just uh, yeah, you were revived. I, I think uh, this is this is one of those questions where it's uh, it's like eating an elephant. You know, how do you do that? You one bite at a time. One of those things that I know uh, I would have done in a situation like that, where I had an evil evil character being revived by a good deity, would be an alignment shift. You know, uh, when when you were before whatever deity it was that was bringing you back, there was a profound change. I, it, I don't I don't think the issue is what happened to the character. Just the fact that there was two different yeah. circumstance two different outcomes to the same circumstance. Yeah, and and that's that's been uh 
problematic. I was trying to illustrate what other alternatives could have happened uh, no, so no, that no, you no, can retain yeah. some some players. But you yeah. know, that's that's not that's not it though. Um, oh, there's more. There's there. Yeah, <laughs> but wait, Bill. There's more. But wait. Um, if if you miss a session, you get no XP, right? Which which seems reasonable. Um, but uh, one of the guys who can only play every every other week um, asked if he could do something with his character the weeks he was away. You know, train or read books or, or something, just something yeah. to kind of kind of keep up, just so the gap doesn't get bigger because it will. Yes. Uh, and the DM said no, which which is in their prerogative, but. Then one of the original players was away, and the DM gave him half XP from that session. So it, you know, it seems like there's there really is some favoritism there, going yeah, on. Yeah, it the, looks like there's a a um a theme. Yeah, going and, on. You know, it goes on. Oh yeah, it keeps going more on. and more. Where there's you know there's uh, looting of the bodies, not sharing any treasure. Mm-hmm. Um, there's um well you know, there's a whole issue about the flanking rule that changes from week to week yeah to week. there's there's but, inconsistency in the rulings and um it, it's it's just the experience points again they're not all getting similar experience um well it, it, it he said at one point that he would spend 15 minutes um trying to do something with his character that would help progress the character and someone else took even shorter time and ended up with more experience points because yeah. he didn't talk to this one NPC because that NPC wasn't put where he needed to go. It sounds, yeah, it, there's definitely, yeah. there's favoritism. So, here. you know, what, another one, um, he was in combat and told you can't do that because you don't get an action or a bonus action. Yet someone else went on for uh, three different rooms in a ghostly fashion and interacted with people and did all this stuff for 45 minutes and that supposedly only took six seconds. Um, yeah, there's there's a problem here. Yeah, and, and he ends it, of course, with any tips or suggestions on, on how to deal with it. Um, you know, <laughs> here, here's my thoughts. Uh, it's better you give your thoughts than mine. Yeah. Um, you know what? There, there shouldn't be any favoritism at the table, and consistency is really important especially with the game and i'm sorry you had this this experience because it's experiences like that that turn people off to the hobby um and then and then they don't come back yes and that's a shame uh and there's three of you and three of them take your two friends and game with those two guys take this as a really good learning experience because um sometimes learning how not to do something is just as important as knowing learning how to do it I've said forever, you don't learn from your successes, you learn from your failures. Yeah, and and you've experienced what kind of DM that you probably don't want to be. Exactly. So take your friends, take your gear, start up your own Roll20 game, talk to your buddies, say, what do you want out of the game, and just, and just start. And everybody understand you're new, maybe, to the game. So, you know, you... you well, see Robert Miller's question. You know, you pick it up there and you learn the game and you get some other folks involved and yeah. just have a good time. Re- reach out. You know, you found them online. Find somebody else, right? Dude, bail on this game. Right? Yeah. Th- this yeah. this guy sucks. Right? And, the- and it's the, these type game masters that um, no hold barred piss me off because right? you're right. They, they're detrimental to the hobby. We're trying to, pr- you know, progress it. We're trying to help people enjoy what we've enjoyed for decades and people like this it, it's the sour apple in the basket 
And unfortunately, everything it touches sours too. So excise yourself from this game. It's, you're not going to save it because this person sucks. Yeah, and there's there's um, there's um no point in staying. The whole idea yeah. behind why we play and why I miss it when I don't play is because, you know, I have a good time. But you're with friends. Yeah. You're with friends. I mean, and granted, we've mentioned this a, a bunch of times. We're spoiled. We're very spoiled. Yeah, very. We have a large group of people that have similar interests. We all know each other. We've been gaming. Some of us for a very long time, some not. Some have only been joined us for a few years. But they they understand the dynamic of the group. They fit well, and we have fun playing because we're a bunch of friends. And there's some people that show up not for the game, but for the camaraderie of being with their friends, and the game is just an excuse to show up. Yeah, take your friends and and start a new game. And even if they're not your friends. Yeah, make new ones. Yeah, make new ones. Grab them and run. And, and and run your table the opposite of the way the guy ran his. Yep. And you'll be off to a good start. You'll be fine. Yeah. Now, we're sorry, Mr. Anonymous, we didn't read this word for word, but it was a little lengthy for Mr. I have a quick question. <laughs> yeah. It was uh, it was <laughs> but long, it was, but, but the answer's short. But, yeah, get the hell out of Dodge. All right. So, in conclusion, listen, we love to hear from you. If nothing else, it lets us know someone's listening. No matter how many episodes we do, something's going to get missed. So keep the questions coming, and we'll get to them. But until then, keep listening each week, and maybe we'll answer some questions that are burning in your mind. So thanks. And that's questions and answers from our listeners. If you would like to hear more of this kind of content, you can ask your questions on the Dungeon Masters Dojo Facebook page, or you can email us at DungeonMastersDojo at gmail.com. That's going to conclude this episode. Thanks for tuning in and listening. Please subscribe to the podcast for more great content. If you'd like to hear a particular topic, you can reach us on Facebook at the Dungeon Masters Dojo, or you can drop us an email at the Dungeon Masters Dojo at gmail.com. Thank you, and have a good day.